0: Now artificial intelligence uh, as a topic itself could be quite complex, and actually it is very complex. And for the PMs out there who are curious to know more about it, want to get into building an AI products, the setting up the you know stepping stones is to understand what AI is, different kind of team structure you're working with, including data analytics and data science teams, algorithm structures for AI versus regular algorithms out there, different fields in AI, difference between ML, machine learning, deep learning, and all that kind of good stuff. Um, and kind of like different types of learning, supervised, unsupervised learnings, and everything else involved in those. So this episode is very educational. My guest, Babar uh on this topic. And Bob actually is a thought leader in AI, ML products. He's a graduate of MIT School of Engineering and Tech, and he's got over 20 years of experience leading software and data products. And he's worked in a variety of different verticals, both for large corporations and early-stage startups. Now, without further ado, let's get right into it. My guest, Bobber, on basic topics for AI products. Hey, I'm your host, Cyrus
1: Shirazian, and welcome to PMHop Podcast, a show dedicated to bringing you fresh and unique insights from product leaders and tech entrepreneurs. All right, Bobber. Welcome to PM Hub.
2: Thank you, Cyrus. Great to be here.
1: For sure. Yeah, I'm very excited to chat with you today, Bobber, about you know a lot of the basic technolo- technological concepts uh, for AI products uh, for our audience who are mainly product managers. Uh, but I guess before we dive in. You know, I'm curious, like you're at the intersection of product and AI yourself. I'm curious to know how did you end up in product and AI and how did it come to be where you are today?
2: Happy to walk you through that. So I started off as a software developer and I worked in for many enterprises that were developing software for business purposes. And eventually my journey took me um, to a startup based on data and analytics and that's where my role shifted from developing and managing technology to building products that would solve customer problem for a given uh, market. And Mm -hmm. that's where, you know, I... I spent a lot of time with customers to determine the product market fit, uh, designing the product so that we provide the best user experience and also working closely with the engineering team to deliver that vision. And of course, we were on a tight budget, always in a rush. So managing priorities and keeping our customers happy while staying on on a roadmap. Uh, that's that's how I uh, learned to be product manager so I took that experience then and applied it to some consulting clients some other startups and then kind of went back to the corporate world and helped a few um, companies with their machine learning products and currently I, I am uh, with uh, another early stage company that's developing, Products for the upcoming quantum computer industries. So again, you know, a lot of um, uncertainties, a lot of unknowns about how the, the developments would unfold, but that's, that's sort of the interesting part of being a, a technical and machine learning PM is that you, know, you, you use your knowledge and use as much data as possible to create a strategy and a roadmap for future and adjust as you go.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I love that path. You started as a software engineer and then into product and then into machine learning. How, how did you find your interest in machine learning and AI? I'm curious. So I had
2: uh, been del- you know, developing models for uh, predictions since my uh, graduate school days so i you know uh, took that and kind of used that for doing similar problems on the on the business side and then as more and more data became available uh, that's where my interest shifted and there were a, a number of interesting problems that we could solve using these database products and early days of machine learning. And then, you know, the machine learning field evolved where the deep learning models became more and more successful. So that's, I kind of followed along and uh, worked on a number of uh, diverse problems using these different technologies.
1: Very cool. Very cool. And it sounds like a natural transition once you, once you do hands-on coding and you know product, then you mix the two and you become an AI product manager and move on, right? Mm-hmm. So, that's yes. awesome. Cool. So, I guess, so this 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 um, episode, Robert, we'd like we'd love to talk about, you know, the very basics of and the concepts around AI products and I guess... For myself, one of the questions that comes to my mind is around you know, you, you hear like, okay, data, data scientist, data analyst, these two roles I, I tend to hear a lot. What are, what, first off, what do each of these do? And I guess from there we can talk about, you know, uh, what's the role of a product manager when you work with a data scientist and a data uh, kind of a, an analytics uh, kind of team member, then analyst from that sense.
2: Sure, so there are a lot of new roles being defined so it's natural to be a bit overlap among these. Um, so whenever you use data, to look into the past and you want to understand what happened. You use the general term of data science and Um, Analytics is another bucket that you can use to kind of say the same thing. The key difference is that a business analyst or a data analyst will mainly use tools to explore data and to find correlations and to kind of explain what happened in the past and what you should. You, know, you can do with it a um, common example would be to look at marketing data and decide which of the, the you know people in that data set should get the an offer what kind of messaging should be in the next email campaign so a lot of that is your analytics and, and data science. The key difference with the newer machine learning and AI is that now you can actually get a better understanding and you can even predict with a good sense of um, ability, how will people react? So now you have an opportunity to stop Machines from breaking down, or to provide alerts in different situations, to create autonomous systems that will you know, uh, help steer a car when it may be going in the wrong direction, or they can provide a, a likelihood of which customers are going to be defaulting on their loan. So, with machine learning and, and AI, you are actually predicting. And it's still based on data, but you have used data to recognize certain patterns. And the important thing to understand for a product manager is that all of these are probabilistic models. So they, they may be right most of the time, but they may not be right all of the time. So the most important thing is to understand the limitations and the potential and to map problems carefully to the technology and see what's the fit. Not every problem is well suited for machine learning or AI. It's not a silver bullet, it doesn't happen easily, takes a lot of investments. So as long as the, the, the PMs understand that they have to go through the regular product market fit, but add another layer of feasibility, then they should be fine.
1: I love that. I love how you kind of like separate it too, and also. Uh, so basically, from what I'm hearing, you know, it's like data scientist seems to be like more exploratory kind of like work when you're, yes, uh, you know, diverging. Uh, you know, I'm trying to test ideas and, you know, if you look at the famous double diamond from design thinking and versus data analysts is more of kind of like it's more converging. You're trying to get to a certain, uh, an absolute value or number like you, what you mentioned. That's kind of like how they seem to fit into each other, right?
2: Right. And one, you know, most data analysts will be creating reports and compiling data and maybe you know pivoting the data to kind of answer some questions but uh, data scientists will be exploring that maybe building some models because they're scientists they are less concerned about the engineering details of how this model will live and behave in the real world but um, if if you are trying to decide which algorithm to use or you have a choice of models and you want to compare them, then data scientists um, are good at doing that. And then there's a third category called machine learning engineer, who's like a mix. Hmm. They're engineers, but they have good understanding of machine learning, so they, have, they can take care of some of the practical needs and kind of, you know, um, work on the day-to-day problems that machine learning models uh, have.
1: I see. So machine learning engineers, they kind of like, they they have a software engineer background, but also they understand kind of machine learning how and how to write, you know, machine learning models. And that's kind of like how, oh, I see. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. So thanks for clarifying that. And I guess my next question, let's, let's just jump about, I guess, the biggest, probably one of the bigger topics about like, you know, and, you know, I can tell you, I'm I myself technical, so I, I, it's, I think I have an easier time understanding, but I think it's worthwhile to talk about, you know, what's the difference between, you know, a regular algorithm let that say you, you know, an onboarding or a quiz or whatever, a mortgage calculator that we talk in, in kind of like a uh, typical software versus an AI algorithm. How, how would you distinguish the two for our audience?
2: Yeah, that's actually um, a good question because the difference is not always clear. Um, Whenever you're using a product that's using information to make certain decisions and interact with you, there may be a a number of different things going on. You know, the the simplest is, is the heuristics, right? based on prior information, can look at a situation as humans and come up with what should we do. Similarly, in a lot of these business applications and products, there are simple rules and simple um, formulas that can give us a pretty good idea, and they work very well in, in many situations. You know, so so you typical software programmer, you know, has learned the if, then that structure. Given a scenario with different options, they could branch and take the the right decision Mm -hmm. based on predetermined settings. So once the, the, the software program is written, using that predetermined rules, will always follow that. So you can be certain that as long as the program is working without bugs, it will produce something that you know was expected following that path. The machine learning algorithm or the AI algorithm is opposite to that. Instead of writing a certain formula or certain rules, It actually looks at the observations of the data and learns from the patterns. And once it understands the distribution of the data, the statistical properties of the data, now it can handle situations which it has never seen before. And now it can make predictions of what will happen based on the learning So the model is as good as the learning that it gets. And most of the time, it gets that learning uh, from data. And we'll talk more about that. So that's your key difference, is that you're not telling the computer what to do. You're showing it examples, and it's learning from those examples, and sometimes even without the examples, and then coming up with answers.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's great way to put it. And uh, so, yeah, so basically a typical algorithm has got a bunch of for loops and if, if statements in the middle, you know the input, you know the output, how it's behaving, uh, I guess the logic and uh, versus, I guess the, the really famous example is, uh, that actually you might use, uh, you know, it's pretty common application with the Google Translate itself. I think I was reading... Uh, yes. When they first developed, it was like 50 or 100,000 lines of code. And then now <laughs> yeah. they turn into an AI. It's, I think it's just maybe a few hundred, uh, which is fascinating.
2: Yes, it's, and, and language is one of the, the tough challenges. Similar, you know, um, a lot of computer vision models have been trained on people's pictures. And they can recognize a human face, and they can even successfully identify a human if they have seen that human's picture. Or, of course, um, the whole cat model is probably the most famous. Just you know, show a picture of, say, is there a cat or a dog or none? So the computers have done a good job of learning that.
1: Yeah, and actually, that's a great segue to. Uh... My next questions now now, AI, there's, I think, different fields as we talk about it. So curious to know, like, what are the main uh, AI fields and, you know, how would you kind of like describe the differences between them?
2: Yeah, I think the way I look at things, you know, there's all these um, knowledge mining and predictions and optimization, right? You have... A lot of variables. How should you arrange them? How can you, you know, predict what will happen if you've already seen some things already? Um, you have a lot of um, data and documentation that's unstructured. How do you mine information? That's one area. The second area is like, you know, cognitive. If computers can start seeing things hearing things and if they can understand language then you know they can start doing a lot of things for which we use humans today which is you know inefficient in many cases and it's kind of subject to many other limitations so that will allow you to kind of you know uh, use cameras to look at what's going on and then make the right kind of decisions or actions, or in areas of business agents like Mm chatbots, or even generate new data. You feed a lot of movie data, and then the model can come up with a a new storyline. The third type is where you introduce levels of automation or create autonomous systems, or semi-autonomous systems, right? So the back office automation is like a common usage, where if somebody is doing repetitive tasks, you just you know observe that and you link those tasks. And if there is a certain part that needs a little bit of intelligence, you add the model there. Um, you can have computer models take calls, and then of course there's all the the, the area of robotics and self-driving cars where to a certain degree in a certain situation uh, they can perform these repetitive tasks uh, very well. All of these areas come with their own limitations and pros and cons, obviously. But hopefully that this gives you a good idea of the major areas.
1: Yeah, it's just... Sounds like overall they're trying to kind of like with AI to, uh, you know, recreate the kind of some of the main senses that, that we have, like computer vision for when you see things, uh, speech recognition when you listen, uh, when you're reading, as we're talking about, you know, natural language processing, and when you're moving uh, with the robotics and whatnot. Sounds like we're trying to kind of like mimic. Uh, which does make sense that what that's what the robot is to is kind of in a nutshell, trying to kind of replace mm-hmm. what the human does and uh, kind of like try to uh, make it a, do it as as the best they can.
2: Yes, so that's that's our the challenge of our times is that as these models get better, more and more of human work will get. Partially or completely by these systems. So I think call centers, uh, a lot of the back-end processing work. These are like common examples, and you know there, there's a lot of innovation that's going on in this field. A high-end example would be that if these computer vision models can read X-rays and CD scans and MRIs. And they they can be extremely fast and efficient. And then at the end, they can tell the radiologist that here are the the, the the few things that the radiologist needs to focus on instead of trying to look at thousands of these.
1: Yeah. No, that's super powerful. Now I guess that that also brings us. You know, to a follow up there, and that's like you know, there's this, you know, expressions like we talk, we talk about weak AI, strong AI. What are what are the, these different types of AI that we're talking, and what are, what are each of these trying to do?
2: Yeah, so you know, the the real intelligence is is, is it's kind of hard to define. It's funny because there are so many different definitions because we don't even understand what the human level intelligence is and if that's a good enough standard, right? Hmm. We don't have to limit um, the, the, the AI to just human level intelligence. It Technically, it could become much, much better, but there are important Considerations of you, know, you define what's better. And in today's world, it's more of a philosophical debate because the, the kind of AI that's working is extremely narrow in scope, hence the term narrow in artificial intelligence. And there are certain people who are firmly opposed to calling some of these things as artificial intelligence or intelligence of any sort because their point is that this is machine learning on a very limited scale in a very limited scope so calling it ai is exaggeration so there's all these debate going on but the usually the term general artificial intelligence means that intelligence is not limited to one area. If the AI kin has been taught how to play one game, it should be able to just use that principle and play another game which is very similar. Or, uh, you know, basically take something that it has learned and use that for next learning. Just like humans do, like babies, you know, they learn things very quickly. They have a mental model of the world that comes preloaded, and then in the first few years, they rapidly stack on top of that. They they can understand gravity. They can understand, you know, uh, people's expressions. They can kind of learn to interact. Well, with today's models everything has to be taught from scratch every time. And, you know, there are, of course, techniques which try to transfer the learning from one thing to another. But, you know, it's still sort of a a clumsy way where we are trying to teach these computers and we haven't figured out a way how to teach them common sense. So that's why we have all these definitions because we are still trying to figure all these details
1: out. Yeah, no, I love that, I love how you put it. And I think it's a big distinction that, like you mentioned, uh, and AI has been used pretty loosely, uh, as we know. And like you mentioned, mm-hmm. it, if it's just one specific domain, like, uh, you know, like image recognition, or just like, it, it shouldn't really, it technically isn't AI. It's just very, very limited part of it. Uh, and But I love how you the way you put it, like, you know, it's just like, you know, more about how a, an AI is more about like how you learn something and actually can apply to other things. Uh, like for example, I think was it like uh, back in a couple of years ago, I think Google launched the Alpha zero and uh, you know yes. what was it it taught itself to do a couple of sports. I guess he mastered a couple of games like chess, go and a couple of other yes. ones, I think, right? Yes.
2: And that that basically, you know, even though that was considered a breakthrough, what people don't realize is that, you know, it took massive effort of a big team with a lot of resources, a lot of advanced knowledge to kind of get to that point. But because that task was considered unsolved before, so it was a major achievement. Um, in, in in general, you know, we've been able to do pretty good things that were not possible maybe 10 years ago. But they are very, very narrow. And they come with some pitfalls. And uh, for PMs, again, going back to their role, they have to map each possible solution and see if it's a good fit for their need, it may be a good fit for someone else, but they can't expect to just take something and apply it to their situation. Um, For one thing, you know, the type of problem can be very different, and the the expectation of the, the end users may be very different. So the human element is extremely important. And how you design all these interactions is also very important because uh, when things don't go well, you have to kind of be there and explain how the, 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 the product works, why it fails, and is there like a, a good workaround so that they don't feel that, you know, they're stuck.
1: Yeah, I think it's a traditional, you know, uh, square peg in a round hole or something like that when yes. trying, you're trying to fit the solution the problem and then try to understand, which I do think, and I, I think you agree with me as well, it, sh- it should be a bottom-up and a top down approach at the same time. You need to know what's possible, but at the same time, you need to know mm-hmm. your business model well and how what kind of data you have and how a potential uh, you know technology in that space can help you, right?
2: Yeah, I like the way you say bottom up and top down,
1: yeah. Cool. So now I guess this is this is also another classic ones, Barbara. So you know, we hear all these terms and uh, you use them pretty interchangeably, like we have AI, we have machine learning, we have deep learning. Like what are these? What what are how, how do you describe each of these and you know when should the PM uh, try to kind of like leverage each of them?
2: Right. We, we definitely should be mindful of which term applies where. In the way I see it is that, you know, AI is, is the broad area that tries to make systems more intelligent, more like, you know, where it's like human-like, decision-making based on the the perception and in, input of data. Uh, machine learning is, is one area within AI. So AI you can do in many different ways, right? So people have tried heuristics, rule-based learning, symbolic intelligence, because well, we have certain theories about how humans become intelligent and then we try to get there. machine learning is the part where we have data and observation and and the machine is is learning from that. And sometimes even without providing those examples, it can just kind of learn uh, certain things. And deep learning is uh, probably the easiest to classify because it's a special case of machine learning where you use layers of uh, neural networks, which are sort of the rough model of a human neuron, but extremely simple uh, that connect information in successive layers, and that's how the deep comes. And then they're self-adjusting uh, connections between different layers that allow you to kind of go back and forth uh, of the process where your input and output is matched with each other, and you kind of keep doing that till you get an answer that um, you were supposed to get. And and this mathematical construct has been surprisingly effective in solving a lot of these cognition problems, language, vision, uh, a lot of other problems. That you start with the data, and then you have these mathematical properties of these networks and the way they're connected to each other. And the, the network is able to internalize from that data and start giving you the answers when you give it new data. So that's a very specialized approach. And you know we've been seeing for the last 10 years that it has been performing very well and a lot of innovations going on, but maybe in future, something better will come. So for PMs, they think they should know these names and terms, but they shouldn't get too attached with any one approach, and they should work with their technical teams to see what kind of system is needed and what technology is best suited for each part of that system. It may be a system with many different moving parts. And um, one advice is that even though these models are the shiny piece, but the actual data that's used to train these models is extremely important as well. It's, It's boring work, but that's where a lot of value can come.
1: Yeah, they say what garbage data in garbage, garbage model out, something like yeah, that. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yes, yes.
1: So essentially, like machine learning is leveraging the statistics uh, to mimic the way we humans learn, and deep learning as a subset, like you mentioned, with uh, these artificial neural networks, trying to mimic how how the brain basically works with the neuron. That's that's a distinction. There. And in terms of the application, like how, like, is are there specific scenarios where, depending on the amount of, I guess, data uh, that you have, or are there maybe d- different distinctions that you might uh, think of that you go with a machine learning model versus the d- d- deep learning one?
2: Yeah. So, machine, you know, there will be pens and of approaches to machine learning depending on whether you're trying to classify a certain things or you're trying to predict certain things, how much data you have, quality of data, and you know, so in general, for unstructured data, which usually means like pictures or general text, as opposed to tabular data in the database, you have rows and columns. So, the unstructured data, deep learning is works very well. When you have a tabular set of data, then it just becomes a question of what kind of problem are you trying to solve? And there could be many other machine learning approaches that are faster and they provide more explainability. Um, the, the, you know the, the, As we were discussing deep learning, one thing to remember is that the, the higher accuracy of these models comes at a cost which is that it's hard to explain how these models are actually coming up with the decision. You can go back and kind of do a full audit trail easily. It is hard because of the, the, the there could be thousands of millions of layers, so many nodes and so many moving parts. Yeah, you get an answer, but it's not really explainable that easily. So, so if you use other machine learning approaches, you get the advantage that, It's faster, it's efficient, you get a good insight into the the model. It's not a full black box. So sometimes that's more important than getting few percentage points of accuracy. So that all of that is like a product managers wheelhouse that they have to decide what works best.
1: Yeah, and I guess I remember one of my friends talking about how he would have loved to leverage, um, you know, deep learning uh, for for their model because, you know, their the performance, as you mentioned, you know, as you have more data goes, kind of outperforms the classical machine learning. But uh, I, I believe their application was uh, for, you know, a resume review application. And because it's a black box, like you mentioned with deep learning, and they needed to kind of like you know have that data on like why a candidate was you know filtered out because of because they need to have that uh, they need to have that evidence for you know legal and human rights purposes <laughs> then at that point they were not able to leverage deep learning because they just need to know hey this is why this application was filtered out in case they wanted to kind of have that record which is which is and that's that's that was very interesting for me to see wow, that's crazy. But I guess uh, there are the other sides of the puzzle as well, and how how the business side and regulations will also work into it, right?
2: That's a great example. So whenever it's a sensitive element, regulated industry, healthcare, human resources, you have to be mindful of all the other elements that Go into the decision of which technology is best.
1: 100%. That's why it's, you
2: know, PMs are, PMs are custodians of that kind of work.
1: Totally. Uh, last question. Actually, it's a kind of a fun question. Uh, put it, I guess, one way or the other. You know, there's this artificial super intelligence, right, or AGI that, you know, right you've seen the movies that the robots are taking over. I'm asking all my guests, yeah, like, what are your thoughts? Is it coming? Like, where are we? Is it happening in your thoughts?
2: Oh, it's coming for sure, but usually not in the way that movies describe. But uh, it's kind of fun to see all these new movies about robots and all that. But I think even if you ignore the robots, I think the fundamental shift is that a lot of businesses and products are are removing the first layer of inefficiencies in companies who have built their um, model around the old way of doing things. They are definitely going to get in big trouble because the, the, the AI-first companies that are leading with data and AI, they are really able to offer new ways of getting to the customer, getting their attention, getting their money. Amazon is an example. And, and the reality of AI is that more data you have, the better your product is, the happier your customers are. And that means that you know it's a virtuous cycle. These customers will produce more data, which will get your product even better. So hard for non-AI companies to compete against that uh, virtuous cycle. So that's where they, I think they are uh, struggling to compete against the, the Googles, Facebooks, and Amazons. Uh, they don't have that advantage. And if, they're, if they were late to the game, catching up is really hard. So that may be an area where you can even see tension in terms of regulation and uh, complaints from people that you know certain companies have too much power because they they were earlier to get to this they have the data they developed these models now they just keep getting better and better
1: yeah i remember i have a when uh, i one of my uh... Uh, people I know in my in my network, he was saying that how they are going about to propose um, an AI model for the application, it would have had no ROI for the next three years. But then the proposition was that why by us building this model into our, our application and making it free for our users, we're gonna give that you know. Uh, that feature set to them for free but we're going to get this data as well in return and i remember he was saying that he had a hard time convincing the board and uh, you know the investors because they want to see roi and dividends and if you can't stomach uh, i guess waiting for a couple of years to see the benefits then that that becomes an issue right
2: right so um you know many companies have taken the strategic Route, but many other companies are not really understanding this, this level of change. So they may be underestimating. Uh, and then, of course, it's the culture, right? How much risk will you take? How much investment will you make? So I think um, if a company is not digitally savvy or mature, they will hesitate or they they may not even realize that they have to build all these foundational base before they can get to this nice part about AI. You can't just jump right into it. There's a whole process and it takes time. And if if they're not used to moving fast or having all their um, you know, people work together, it becomes really hard because the, the data has to be shared. If they didn't build the systems to share the data, uh, that's going to take time.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. Cool, awesome. Well, Bauer, how? Uh, where can our listeners follow your insights? Oh,
2: they're welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn and follow me. And also, I have a blog on Medium, so um, please feel free to add those links in there. Yeah, so people can uh, read it. And of course, if um, there's anyone, you know, your listeners, they they need some more advice or feedback i'm uh, happy to help
1: out awesome awesome thank you so much Bauer. i am gonna i'll be sure to add those links uh, to the description thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge with us on ai products
0: you're welcome it was fun keep it up cool that's it for this week's episode of pm hop
1: podcast guys thanks for tuning in um If you enjoyed it, definitely share on your social media,
0: LinkedIn, Twitter, you name it. Leave a five-star review so we can reach more audience. And if you have any suggestions, I'm totally open to it. You can reach out to me on social media. Uh, Also, subscribe to uh, make sure you never miss uh, any of the upcoming episodes. I'm Cyrus Shirazian. And until next show, stay safe and healthy.